excited that you did pay it all. Because, Father, it's a debt that we could not pay. It was far too large. Our accounts had been overwhelmed with thy sin and death. And, Father, the only thing that could help us was you. Father, we thank you this morning for Jesus, for his life, for his death the resurrection power that overwhelmed the grave. Lord, we ask that you would remind us of that and its truth continually. Father, as we open up the word this morning, I pray that you would use it to penetrate the hearts and lives of men and women and children, boys and girls here today. Father, that you would be the one who speaks your word would have its proper effect on hearts and that you would be glorified. Father, if there is anything that hinders us from worship today, I pray that we would right now deal with that. Lord, that we would move into a time of hearing and receiving the word so that we can know it, so that we can long for it, and so that we can apply it to our lives. Father, we love you praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Today we'll be in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3. Your bulletin has, it will be in verses 1 through 8. We're actually going to be in verses 1 through 12. And for those of you who know that Pat takes great care of us during the week, don't blame her. That was my fault, not hers. I would not want her to feel like she had done something inappropriate there. Today we also are dealing with the fifth part of our God-fearing family series. And today it is God-fearing children. And so we have taken our kids out of kids' praise and we've brought them into the sanctuary with us and the adults And the reason for that is because if we're going to talk about God-fearing children, we expect that they should be the ones, if anyone, to hear the the passage and the sermon on being God-fearing children because we're really going to expect and anticipate that as they grow that they are God-fearing children who apply the Word of God to their lives. And so you notice that I have in my hand a blue notebook. It's not a new Bible. It's not a notebook that I'm preaching out of. But it's a notebook that those, those boys and girls have been given so that they can take notes during our service so that they can focus on what's going on and so that they can be helped in their learning. And so parents, what I'd like for you to do is that when you get home one day this week to take this, if they have this, now, I know not everyone has it with them this morning. One of mine does and one of them doesn't. And so I understand that that's not the case for everybody. But see what they wrote in here. And walk through it with them. See what they heard from the message this morning. And see if you can help guide them even further in the conversation of understanding God's word. Applying it to their lives. And truly being God-fearing children. And for the boys and girls who don't know, my name is Aaron Hall. And I'm the pastor of discipleship and administration here at Iron City. Uh, And the reason I say that is because it's one of the things that they fill out on each one of the forms as they take and listen to the Word of God. But today, again, we'll be in Proverbs chapter 3. So if you have your Bible, take it, turn with me, or turn it on and turn to that passage in the Word of God. As I was 
growing up, I had what I consider now, I did not at the time, but what I consider now to be the privilege of growing up in the home of a pastor and being reared and brought up as a PK or a preacher's kid. And there were always these expectations that were placed on us. My father served in small rural churches uh, all of his life. And as he did, that meant that in those small communities, my brother, who is two years older than I am, and myself were living in a glass house, if you will. Everything we did, everything that we said, someone in our community saw that. Someone in our community was watching. People in our church were watching. And even if they didn't happen to attend our church, they were still watching to make sure that if we did step out of line in some way and did not act as God-fearing children, that they made sure my mom and dad were quickly told of the actions or the words or the deeds of whatever kind that we had done. And so, you know, the old saying went at that time, preacher's kids are the worst. And unfortunately, because I did not see it as a privilege of having people place expectations on me and looking at me, uh, there were two in my household who did everything we could to make that statement a true statement. And that's the way we acted in our community, and we did not care who saw us or the things that we did. And I say this partly today because as we take on the name of Christ, we might not be preacher's kids, but there are expectations that the world is going to place on us. And we should count those as a privilege. And we should see them as a standard that we should long to achieve and not as something that is burdensome. And at the same time, I say that for the children of our staff and our pastors, mine especially because of their age and where they are in life, that it's okay that people watch you. And I pray that they do. Because as your pastors, we have accepted a greater responsibility. And that responsibility does fall on to our families. And we are keenly aware of that every time we stand before you and proclaim the word of God. That when we walk out these doors, each of you sees how we act in this community. Each of you sees how our children act in this community. You know us, you see us, you live with us, and you can tell if we are doing what we say or not. And so today, I do place my children in that glass house, whether they like it or whether they don't, to be an example. And I pray that they will be faithful and just to the task. And I pray that as a father, that I will lead them in a direction that will make them faithful to that task. Because that is our responsibility. So parents, as I preach a sermon on God-fearing children, I want you to not tune me out. And as we walk through this text... I will demonstrate in a number of cases where the issues that he talks about are not just dealing with children. Because you see, the book of Proverbs is written, all of it is written to children so that they can be trained up in the way of God. 
adults, we still need that training and we still need to be reminded. And as a pastor and as a member of this congregation, I'll be brutally honest with you that this has probably been one of the most convicting sermon series that I've ever had to sit under and has caused and made impact and change in the daily routine of our lives. And I pray that it has done the same for you. And because it is written to your children, why don't you take the time to read the Proverbs to them? They can understand them. And the ones they can't, continue to read them. And as they grow, they will. And as you explain it, they'll grow in that understanding. Let's get to the text. Proverbs chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, going through verse 12. My son... Do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. As we open up the word of God this morning, we see again another talk from the the father to his son. And he begins as he does with the rest of these talks with in the book of Proverbs, he says, my son, do not forget my teaching. Hear what I'm saying. Understand what I'm trying to explain to you. Son, don't forget what I am trying to lay before you. You see, he really does kind of couch this not just in this one text, but in the whole of Proverbs. And as he does, he lays it back to the the book of Exodus and the Ten Commandments. He lays it into the book of Deuteronomy and those commandments given again to the children of Israel and what God has said and who he is and what he has promised moving forward. But in all of the lectures, in all of the teachings that the book of Proverbs says, he says, receive and understand. Receive the word that I have been proclaiming to you. Hear what I'm teaching you. Now, Students, boys and girls, those that we are asking to be God-fearing children, you know one of the most difficult things in the world for your parents to do and to watch is for them to spend time giving you instruction, for them to try and explain how to live a godly life, for them laying out boundaries for you to live in and standards that they want you to meet and things that they want you to do and watch you ignore them and watch you walk away from them. 
in the moment when you hear them as he's asking his receive don't forget my teaching remember when you're hearing that teaching that when you're rolling your eyes because they just don't understand well well for those of you who think your parents don't understand let me understand that my generation wrote the song to go along with that right that we you're not the first ones to think that your parents don't understand you. You're not the first ones to believe that those a little bit older than you just don't get what it's like to be where I am, that they have forgotten what it's like to be a kid. They've forgotten what it's like to be a student. They've forgotten what it's like to be in college. Let me assure you that they have not forgotten, and that's why they take the time to walk through these instructions with you. It's why they take the time to teach you, not because they don't understand or they have forgotten what it's like, but because they do understand what it's like. They haven't forgotten the things that take place. They haven't forgotten the things that go on. They haven't forgotten the temptation. They haven't forgotten the peer pressure. They haven't forgotten what it's like to hear somebody telling you over and over to do something and do something, and you don't want to do it so bad that you roll your eyes and you grunt and you turn and you moan and you say no and you go and rebel and do your own thing they understand they know because they have been there they have walked through it and what Proverbs tells us is that the wise son and the wise daughter is going to take that instruction they're going to remember that instruction and when they walk into that temptation and they walk into that moment of peer pressure they're going to remember in the back of their head mama said don't do this Daddy said, I don't need to be here. Because you see, as a teenage boy living a life that was in rebellion against my parents and therefore ultimately against God himself, every time I found myself in a situation that was sinful and in a place I was not supposed to be, I always not only had God in the back of my mind telling me, Aaron, that's not who you are or what you're supposed to be doing, but I had my mama and daddy in the back of my head saying, Aaron, that is not who you are. That is not what you're supposed to be doing. I was remembering it. I was hearing it in my mind, and I was rebelling against it anyway. Do you know what that makes me? A fool. As bluntly and as honestly as I can say it, I was a fool and rebellious. And we long for you not to be there. He gives these instructions to his son. Our parents give instructions to our children because we don't want them to have to suffer through the things we suffered through or go through and be put in the situations that we were put in. We don't want you to deal in your life with the mistakes that we made. We long for you to desperately learn from us so that you don't have to make the same things. You don't have to do them because we understand that receiving instruction is probably the most difficult thing for a human being to do. Because you know what? You think our, your, your parents or your pastors or somebody else, does, they don't have authority over them? Let me promise you they do. Let me promise you that it's not any, it does not get any easier to receive instruction from someone that you don't like they're saying things you don't want to hear, and it causes you to dislike them. It causes you to have ill will toward them. 
And parents, you know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? And that's where we better be careful in a, in a, in a sermon talking about God-fearing children. The book of Proverbs is telling us to receive instruction. Don't forget my teaching. Let it be on your heart. Let, but let your heart keep my commandments. Because we suffer with the same thing our, ki- our children suffer with, don't we? I don't want to be told what to do. From the time I was this high, I didn't want to be told what to do. I, I still don't. You can ask Cody and Zach and John. I don't like being told what to do, do I? Cameron, I'll tell you the truth. I don't enjoy it. Because I'm prideful, as we all are. Because I long to do it my way. That's not what Scripture calls us to do. He says, remember my teachings. Let your heart keep my commandments. And for length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Length of days. Do you understand what he's talking? He's talking about longer life. He's talking about a more fulfilling life. Now, this, is that a, remember, we're in the book of Proverbs. These are not absolute promises. People die young who are faithful to do what their parents and God have instructed them to do. But let me assure you that if you're abiding and listening and hearing and obeying the commands of Scripture and obeying the commands of your parents, I can promise you one thing. You're not going to die doing something stupid. Right? You're not going to die doing something stupid. Let me just be just real clear when, I, when I'm talking about doing something like that. You know, the Bible tells us to obey the laws of the land. Our parents tell us to obey the laws of the land. So I'm thinking about my life, and I'm thinking about me. And I can remember driving 114 down I-65. And you know how I knew I was driving 114 down I-65? Because when the state trooper pulled me over, that's what he told me. (laughs) Not to mention that I was somewhere I wasn't supposed to be going to doing something I wasn't supposed to be doing. You know why he stopped me? Because he knew that it was dangerous and he knew that it could kill me. You know why my parents had told me not to do it? Because they knew that it could kill me. You know why we tell our kids, well, you know why the legal drinking age is 21? Because we understand that teenagers don't have the capacity to think properly about alcohol, much less the way adults do. Most adults don't, let's be honest. But as teenagers, we surely don't have the capacity to think properly about that. So why do they tell you not to drink and drive? So you don't die when you have a car accident. Or that you don't run into someone else and kill them and be put in jail for manslaughter or worse. Why do we tell our kids not to do drugs? Well, one, because it's against the law. And number two, because we've seen too many individuals do stupid things and die while they were doing them, including overdosing or just doing something randomly stupid and dying in the process. So I can tell you that this proverb is accurate in the fact that if you are obeying the commands of the Lord, obeying the commands of your parents, You're not going to die doing something stupid, and that will add some time to your life. And 
Now, parents, we've got to understand that it's our responsibility to properly lay out those boundaries and those commands for them, don't we? We've got to understand that it's our responsibility to lay that out before them so that they can hear, so that they can understand, so that they can follow instruction. And we need to be wise about that instruction. We're not worried about being the cool parents, and I had those growing up too. I just let them drink when they're with me. Foolish. They only do those things when they're with me where I can watch after them. Yeah, because after a six-pack, you both have good sense, don't you? Probably not. But we need to be giving wise counsel. We need to be instructing them to simply obey the laws of the land. If it's against the law, it should be wrong for them to do. Kind of simple that way. But that's what he's talking about. He's calling. If you remember what wisdom is doing, wisdom is calling to the simpleton. Wisdom is calling to those who need understanding and saying, here am I, come and understand. Here I am, come and listen. Here I am, come and take heed of my voice so that you can be wise. In these verses in 1 and 2 and then 3 and 4, he says, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. See, he's not just looking for behavior modification in this process. The Proverbs are not looking to change the external behavior and leave a heart of stone placed within us that eventually will reject that and turn behavior back to what it was. The Proverbs are not just looking to correct a behavior but to change a heart. The Proverbs are looking to draw you into a relationship that changes everything, not just some external things. It's not just behavior. And this is where we see in the Proverbs that they are set apart from other areas of wisdom because almost every ancient culture has Proverbs. They have these ideas of wisdom. And if you look at the book of Proverbs, a lot of these were collected by Solomon and written down so that he was choosy. He picked the best ones. He picked the ones that were in line with not just ethics, but ethics and morals, the ones that look to change not just behavior, but to change the heart. And so as we instruct our children, it should be with the purpose of changing the heart. Children, as you receive instruction, it should be with the purpose of your heart changing and growing fonder of those who are giving you the instruction and fonder of the one who ultimately gives instruction of God himself. Moving in the direction of fearing Him. But the Proverbs set themselves apart in this aspect because they don't allow us to limit and put ethics over here and religion and morality over here. They make clear that the two come together and you can't have proper, proper ethics without an understanding of who God is to bolster them. And that's what we're seeing in our culture today. 
That's what you children, students, are growing up in is a culture that wants to have ethics with no underpinning of an understanding of who God is and the commands that He has laid before us. And it's clearly not working. And are things different now for you than they were for us? Absolutely. They are. They are tremendously different. They are not the same. I praise God every day I did not grow up in the age of social media. I do. I'm thankful that I didn't have to go through that process. And the things that it has brought into our life and the things that it has added to us that we have to deal with on an ongoing basis. So... The writer of Proverbs says all of these, don't let steadfast love, don't let this hesed kind of love, this faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on your heart. In other words, change your heart, not your behavior. He's looking at our character here. He's looking at who we are on the inside because who we are on the inside is ultimately going to come out on the outside. You can't hold in who you are forever. If you spend enough time with someone, you're going to figure out who they are. You're going to figure out what's on the inside. Because we can only contain the wickedness and the evil that is within us for so long. And if we're not surrendered to the will of God and what He would have in our life, it's going to make itself evidently clear. It's going to come out unless we have a change of heart. And so we plead with you students, we plead with you children... To understand that this is a heart issue. It's a gospel issue. Because it's writing the law of God on our hearts. So that it might change who we are. Not just what we do. Because there are a lot of good kids out there. There are a lot of good kids who don't have the law of God written on their heart. There are a lot of good adults out there. But there are a lot of good adults who don't have the law of God written on their heart. And the only thing they've done is adjusted their behavior to meet the norms of the society around them. That's not what God is calling us to do. He's calling us to change our character by allowing Him to enter in and change it for us because He understands that we cannot do it on our own. He's not lacking in understanding. And then He comes to this culmination here in verses 5 through 8 of this entire passage. And so... If students and kids, if I've lost you for a minute, take those little notebooks back out. Get this back out and, and write this down because this is the key to this text is right here in verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. And if you get nothing out of this, understand that God wants two things from you. He's trust in Him, forsake evil, and then try and breathe. You see the order there? Trust in Him, forsake evil, and then worry about life. Because if you're not trusting in Him and forsaking evil, life is nothing. And that's what he says. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. A.W. Tozer says, pseudo-faith always arranges a way out to serve in case God fails it. 
Real faith knows only one way and gladly allows itself to be stripped of any second way in makeshift substitutes. For true faith, it is easy. It is either God or total collapse. And not since Adam stood on the earth has God failed a single man or woman who trusted him. Place your faith totally in if you're looking to be sustained or provided for by any other means, you're not going to find it. It's going to let you down. There's not success in anything outside of God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. This entire passage beckons us and calls us and says, remember what was said in Deuteronomy. Remember what was said in the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 5 is where we're turning Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Deuteronomy chapter 5. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, we see these things being spoken. He says in chapter 5 verse 16, Honor your father and mother, and the Lord your God commanded you that your days may be long, that it may go well with you in the land, and that the Lord may give, is giving you. And then in verse 33, you shall walk in the way of the Lord your God commanded you that you may live and that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. You see, these promises, these proverbs and the statements about what normal godly living is going to work itself out, this is not the first time God's given them to his people. He's already, he's reminding them of what's taking place. These Proverbs are so, now the law is being written into poetry and in a way that we can memorize it and understand it and walk with it and meditate on it and live in it. And he's saying, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Deuteronomy chapter 6, there's one God and one alone. Trust in Him. Do not lean on your own understanding. You are not wise enough. You are not wise enough. You don't have the understanding to make all the decisions of life at this moment. And so at what age do we begin to think that we have all the knowledge and wisdom that we need? Well, it really depends on who you are, doesn't it? Some people it starts about six months. Some people it starts about 12 months. I think some people, it begins before they ever come out of the womb. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to trust in my own understanding. I'm going to, I know when to come. I know. And you watch. And you watch children as they grow. Those that know it all. I was one of those kids. I'm not talking about anybody else. If you think I'm talking about you, don't think that. I have to look in my mirror every day and deal with the man who stands there. I just happen to know that some of you are like me. And you think you've got it all figured out. You think you know everything there is that you need to know about life. You can handle it all. Put your faith and trust in the Lord. 
acknowledge him in all your ways. Or this is, can be translated, know him in all of your ways. Desire him in all of our ways. Long for God to be involved in every aspect of your life. We want that for our children, but adults, we long for you to have that same understanding of life. Ray Ortland, in this dealing with this passage, asked some questions. He says, do you let the Bible overrule your own thinking? Kind of falls in line with our core value of start with the word. Are we instructed by the Bible or do we give instruction to the Bible? Are we convinced because the Word of God says so or because we figured it out on our own? What what do you do? Let me, here's some ways to figure this out. What do you do when the Bible contradicts what you want to do. Kids, the Bible says, honor your father and mother. It's the fifth commandment. It's the one that's the first one that comes with a promise. It's in the line of the commandments that really are dealing with our relationship to God because it impacts our relationship with God so dramatically when he calls us to honor our father and mother because he understands if we can't even honor them, how are we going to bother to honor him? So he's asking us. When the Bible tells you to honor your father and mother and your mom is giving you a lecture about your room not being clean, and you roll your eyes, how much honor are you giving her? When your dad asks you if that's really appropriate to wear outside the house, we're getting into modesty and purity here, guys, because we need it. Because let me just step to the side. Purity is not about not getting pregnant, okay? That's not it. If that's a whole goal in your idea of purity before marriage, come to the Word of God. And let me ask you the question. It tells you that that's wrong. What are you going to do about it? That's your idea of purity. It disagrees with Scripture. How are you going to handle that? Because it tells us that those relationships outside of marriage that are of sexual nature... They're wrong. How are we going to handle that? What are you going to do about it? What's it going to change in your heart? It's going to work itself out in the way you do and obey what the Word of God says. And parents, when do we have to start worrying about that? Now. I don't care how old your child is. Now. Just so you understand that the average American male is exposed to pornography by the time they are seven. If you look at my family, we're all older than seven. They've seen it. We better be talking to them about it. And guys, what are we going to do when the Bible contradicts what we want to do? 
whatever your view is on alcohol, there's not a child or a student in this room that's 21 years of age, and our government says that you can't drink until then. The Bible says honor your father and mother. It also says obey the laws of the land. What are you going to do about it? When your desire doesn't line up with the word of God, which one wins? Because you know why we ask that question? Because that's going to tell us if we're trusting fully in the Lord, if we're leaning on His understanding, if we're acknowledging Him and knowing and longing for Him in all of our ways. That's when we ask those questions. Not to be a stick in the mud. But because we want your life, remember what we're asking you to do? To obey the commands, to remember the commands of God so that you don't die doing something stupid. So that you can have long life. So that you can live. So that you don't grow up being wise in your own eyes, thinking you've got it all figured out. Because I promise you that there are people in your life who know more than you do. And again, adults, this is the same for us. There are people in our lives that know more than we know. That understand more than we understand. And you know what we need to do? We need to demonstrate for our children what to do in those situations by seeking them out and finding them and asking them to pour into our lives. You see, we're to be examples here. Allow someone else to pour into our lives so that then we can pour into our children. Never being willing to take instructions, parents, is never going to give you the ability to give instruction to your children because they're going to watch what you do and they're going to act like you. In every way, no. Will there be some that run? I did. My parents were faithful. I rebelled against them for many things, but it wasn't because they were unfaithful to the word of God and the way they taught me and lived it out in my life. So there will be some exceptions, I promise you. But shouldn't we do everything we can to draw them in line with Scripture and what the word of God says? ask you this, do you believe that someone without Jesus will spend eternity with him? Because that's a question that our, that our students are asking. Because it's a question that's being asked of them. Adults, it's a question that we should be asking because it's a question that's being asked of us. Is, is Jesus really the only way? They've been asking the question for centuries. They're still asking it today. We better be able to give an answer. Is Jesus the only way? Do you, do you know what it makes me have compassion on those individuals who are going to die and go to hell. It does. But I can't give a different response than what the Bible does. And if I'm not willing to agree with the word of God, then I can assure you that I'm not trusting in him with all of my heart. I am leaning in my own understanding because I want to make it right in my own eyes because I think God's wisdom is not good enough for my logic. Don't be wise in your own eyes. why we must remember and receive because if we fail to take in instruction if we fail to see how God is putting himself into our lives if we fail to receive it into our heart it's not going to change we will be wise in our own eyes fear the Lord turn away from evil and it's healing because a relationship with Jesus Christ changes everything fearing God changes everything. 
understanding who he is and putting our faith and trust in him changes everything. And then he moves into this concept of how to put these into practice in our lives. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with your first fruits and all your produce and your barns will be full with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now understand, we, you, you, you understand we're not a health, wealth, and prosperity church, right? I think we've been abundantly clear on that issue. But we will take what the Proverbs tell us and we will say that the norm is when we are faithfully obedient to God, it will be poured out, we will be sustained, we will have what we need to accomplish the task that God has set before us. We know that. Now that doesn't say he's going to give Iron City a 747, but it does say he'll give us what we need to do the task he's set before us. And it's going to say because he is sufficient for everything. So let me ask you this question. When's the last time you took a risk to obey Christ? When's the last time it cost you something? When's the last time that obedience to God was going to diminish you socially, financially, or professionally? When's the last time your faith in him was demonstrated by allowing yourself to to have to do without something? When's the last time it cost you something? Has your faith ever cost you your friends? Has it ever cost you the ability to go to that place you wanted to go so desperately and you knew you couldn't? He's telling you he's going to provide. Honor him with what you have. And if it costs us something, he's going to give us something greater in return. It might not be in this world, but I can assure you that eternity with him is greater than anything this world has to offer. So much that Paul says, everything I have that I have gained is garbage, is dung, is manure sitting behind me. And I press on to what God has in store for me. That's wisdom from God. What this world has to offer you, children and students, is nothing compared to what God has to offer you. And parents, you need to share that too. If you're more worried about your house, your car, and your vacation to the beach, then that's what they're going to be worried about. If you spend more money taking them to play travel ball and do all of these other things, then than you do taking them to the house of God, then you need to reevaluate what you're teaching them and what you're showing them by example. If you spend more time on vacation than you do in service to the kingdom of God, what does that say to your children? If you take more beach trips than mission trips, what does that say to your children? It's priorities, guys. It's lining ourselves up with the kingdom of God and understanding that he has this way for us. And I'm not being critical of the way you spend your time and money, but I'm asking you to weigh and measure what you do as compared to how you serve your God. Because you know even more than I know how you spend your time and how you spend your money. 
You're the one who can go into your checkbook and see what it says about you. You're the one who can go into your calendar and see what it says about you. And I assure you, your kids know. They're looking to you to determine who they're going to be and what they're going to li- how they're going to live out their lives. And then he says, you're not going to do this perfectly. So don't despise my discipline. Guys, is it hard to be disciplined? Does anybody enjoy discipline? I never enjoyed getting a spanking when I was a child. I can never say that I like, even when it was my mom and not my dad, and it didn't even make me cry because it didn't hurt. Right? No, y'all are laughing because you know what I'm saying. You know you want mom to get the belt out and not dad. You all know it. My little petite mother could swing that belt as hard as she could swing it, and God love her. It just didn't hurt. My dad at six foot three, 220 pounds, when it came across my rear end, I knew it. And it did as often, less often than it needed to. And you know when it stopped? The last time my dad and I had a confrontation, I was 17 years old. And rebellion. into my house staggering drunk and he slapped me upside the head and it was my voice that was rest assured it was not he said Aaron if you're going to attempt to live like a man you better be ready to be treated like a man and I understood what he meant and I knew that I had been in such rebellion so disrespectful to him it didn't work and then I had to live with that in college and when I would come home my dad would find somewhere else to be seek God's face for me and he would beg God to call me out of my rebellion and into the kingdom that he had called me to live in and he never gave up and by the grace of God he never gave up he drew me back to himself and gave me an understanding of these passages like I've never had before. Be willing to accept the discipline. Because it's that discipline that drives the truth of God's word deep into our hearts. Receive the instruction. Respond to it by understanding and utilizing it in our lives. And then understand that when we do wrong, It is their responsibility to correct us. Discipline us in a way that drives us back to God himself. 
receive instruction of God. Will you put your faith and trust in him in Christ? If you don't trust in him with your whole heart, you will not have understanding that comes from him. If you don't trust him with your whole heart, you will not have wisdom that comes from him. If you don't trust him with your whole heart, you will not have an understanding and a knowledge and a longing for him that changes your heart and writes his truths on there so that you can live out of a godly character because you have God within you. Some of you it is. Rebellion against your parents. Rebellion against God. Some of you are in rebellion because you don't even know him as Lord and Savior as you claim you do. He's desperately calling. How will you respond? What will your longing be? Parents, you know that for many of you, you're not being the godly example that your children desperately need in their lives. You know that your life, when lined up with the word of God, does not match to your behavior. What will you do? How will you change so that you can live out a godly life that's God-fearing to your children so that they can begin to fear God in your home? Let us pray. Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, we know that you are a great and mighty God. Father, I pray that during this time of response that your spirit has been moving in hearts, that you have been drawing people to yourself, that you have been calling them so that they might come to know you. Lord, allow them to respond in time. Allow them to see that they need to place their faith completely and totally in you and stop depending upon their own wisdom. Pray for our boys and girls and our students today. I lift them up to you because of the challenges that they face, the world that they are in. Father, they need us to be godly examples. But Father, we need them to run after you as well. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name.